Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. We talk about, we're gonna, it's going to be a good reform sermon. Here we go. Talk about God's sovereignty, about his absolute authority. 300 years ago, Jonathan Edwards wrote, The sovereignty of God is the stumbling block on which thousands fall and perish. And if we go contending with God about his sovereignty, it will be our eternal ruin. Now, why did he say that? What is so important about acknowledging the sovereignty or the absolute authority of God? And not just acknowledging it as some academic point of theory, but actually rejoicing in it and loving it and gladly submitting to it. Why is it that if you argue with God about his absolute authority over all things, it will inevitably lead to your eternal ruin? That's what we're going to talk about this evening. But before we can make sense of that question, we have to start somewhere else. We have to start by seeing if God really does have sovereignty. Or absolute authority over all things. Obviously, if he doesn't, then this is no big deal at all. But if he does, then whether or not we submit ourselves to his absolute authority is literally a matter of life or death. The absolute authority of the true God is rooted in what? The absolute authority of the true God is rooted in the fact that he himself created the universe. The first line of the Bible is a plain assertion that God made the world. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 45, 15 says, and this is God speaking, I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their host. And since God made the world like this, since he made the world simply by speaking it into existence out of nothing, he owns the world. He has full rights of ownership over all that he has made. And since, um, and then uh, Psalm 24, 1 uh, in verse 2, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And then in Job 41, 11, it says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. All of creation belongs to God, all of it. He has the right and the ability to control all things because he made all things. Now I want to overwhelm you just a little bit with the word of God about his control over the world he made. So listen, a lot of references here. The Bible says that nothing is too hard for God. Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Genesis eighteen fourteen. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. God does everything that he wants to do. Isaiah 14, 24 through 27. The Lord of the hosts has sworn, As I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land. And on my mountains trample him underfoot. And his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purpose concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed. And who will annul it? 
His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? And then Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 115.3. Our God is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 135.6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And also God directs all things, even the steps in the hearts of all men. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 21, 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So, since he has absolute control over the world, he has absolute authority over the world. And there are two aspects of his absolute authority that I want to mention right now. First, he has absolute authority to interpret the world for us. He alone, the God who made the heavens and the earth, has the absolute authority to tell us what it all means. He's the author who is the only one who can interpret reality for us. Man is totally dependent on God, not only for his existence, but also for his knowledge. Apart from God's light of revelation and creation and scripture, we can never truly know anything. Since God created and controls everything, he knows everything. This is kind of what I was talking about this morning. And since he alone knows everything, we must depend on his knowledge if we ourselves are to know anything. All that can be properly called truth, not just so-called religious truth, but the truth about numbers and musical notes and the cell structure of plants and the migration patterns of hummingbirds. And the events of history, all that can probably be called truth, resides first in God. And human beings know truly only as they come to God's revelation of himself as the source of truth. In other words, if God really has created all things, I'm quoting Rush Dooney in a PCA church. You've got to do it every once in a while. Um, if God really has created all things, if he is self-contained and sovereign, and by his providence governs and controls all things, then no fact is a fact apart from God and has full valid interpretation apart from him. Every fact is a God-created and God-interpreted fact. And this world exists only as God-created and God, in a God-interpreted world. So God alone has the authority to tell us what everything means. That's what it means. Uh, that's why the Bible tells us over and over again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But God's authority goes further than that. He doesn't just have the authority to tell us what everything means. Second, he has the authority to tell us what to do. He has authority to command us and to demand our obedience and to punish our disobedience. The only way to distinguish between right and wrong is to listen to the God who created the world. As the creator, God is the lawgiver who expects his creatures to comply there can be no court to which we take God's judgment. He's the supreme judge over everything. Whatever he declares concerning morality is binding on all men in all times and all places. It's universal. And if we want to know good and evil, we must remember that God is uh, the only true source for moral knowledge. His standard is the standard. That's by what standard? There you go, Bonson fans. And that's why we reject his authority at our own peril. Since he alone has the authority to tell us what the world means, to reject his authority is to consign ourselves to meaninglessness and futility. 
If we reject God's authority, we'll never have any true answers to the biggest questions like, who am I and why am I here? Or as Jonathan Edwards put it, the absolute authority of God is the stumbling block on which thousands fall and perish. And if we go contending with God about his absolute authority, it will be our eternal ruin. You see, for you and I, as creatures, to fight against the authority of God who made us makes as much sense as the clay fighting against the potter. And that's exactly what God says we do when we fight against his absolute authority. Isaiah twenty nine sixteen, You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker? He did not make me. Or the thing formed say of him who formed it? He has no understanding. And then Isaiah 45, 9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among the earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who formed it, what are you making? That kind of arrogance is the height of foolishness. This is what Peter's talking about. In 2 Peter 2, he says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels, who are greater in might and power, do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. And you know what else? To reject God's authority means that we will never, ever be able to be men. Because you cannot possibly function as a man if you reject the authority of God. God says in 1 Corinthians eleven seven that a man, as in a male, is the image and glory of God. And if you reject the authority of God over you, you will never, ever be able to be an authority. And God has called you and commanded you to be an authority, men. He's called all men everywhere to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. He's called most of you to be husbands and exercise headship over your wives. He's called most of you to be fathers and to train, discipline your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He's called some of you to be employers and to provide and lead your employees. He's called some of you to be pastors or elders or deacons and to shepherd and oversee see, and lead and protect and serve the flock of God. But none of us will be able to be authorities until we first submit to God's absolute authority. All of the authorities and all the authorities that he's placed over us, everyone submits. There is no life without submission. And those that will not submit will not end well. We are all under authority. And you can never be entrusted with authority so you live out that truth in your life. The first hope, uh, the first evidence of someone having potential as a leader is their ability to respect their mother and father. The first authority has been put over them and to respect their pastors. That's why we can't put someone into office too soon. 
We're looking for people that submit to God by submitting to those he's put over them. And you women will never know what it is to be a woman until you learn to submit to authority. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of the Lord. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any, by any fear. And then 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and golds or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. You see, uh, we hate authority in general because we hate God's authority in particular. None of us like authority. We don't like being authorities because we don't like being under authority. And our culture has so much emphasized the autonomy and independence of the individual that we totally misunderstand authority. We think of authority as something negative. And because we have bought into the rebellion of our culture, we've been pressed into the mold of the thought forms of our culture so much that we think authority structures are negative and that the best thing is to be self-directed without any authority over us. And because our culture has rebelled against God, it always presents a horizontal relationship between all members of creation. God's or God, angels, men, animals, are on one horizontal plane. Sweet and appropriate interaction between them is presented as them making no demands on one another, as living in mutual respect and cooperation. It's flat. And of course, the same horizontal presentation is made with regard to human authority. Everyone must be a peer. And obedience is only the product of either persuasion or overwhelming force. The only times we gladly submit to authority is when we are convinced that it will somehow pay off in the end or if we know that they are bigger than us and can punish us if we don't. Sort of might makes right. And because our culture hates the concept of vertical hierarchy of authority in which equals willingly and gladly place themselves under authority is, uh, hang on here, I lost my place. Uh, gladly place himself under authority structures that God has ordained. It cannot teach you as husbands and fathers and employers and shepherds to be men, to be authorities. And it cannot teach you women to gladly submit to men. And it cannot teach our children how to gladly honor and obey their parents. But as I close, I want to go, I want to go one step further. There are kinds of people who will agree with me that there's a God who made uh, the heavens and the earth. And this God has the right and authority to control and interpret and command. 
Uh, Jews believe that. Muslims believe that. Jehovah Witnesses believe that. Mormons believe that. But in itself, none of that is enough. You can embrace all of that and still end an eternal ruin. Why? Because you believe, you believe all that and still reject God's authoritative command about his son, Jesus Christ. God has spoken with absolute binding authority about Jesus Christ. We read in Luke 9.35, A voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And what, had, what has Jesus said? Jesus has said to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he has said, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And he has said, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now uh, and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will live. Uh, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus has the authority to say those things because he is the one through whom God made the world. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And God the Father has exalted the Son, the Lord Jesus, above all things in power and authority. There's intense pressure in our time uh, to water down the truth, right? And uh, we have to have a hierarchy of principles, a hierarchy of doctrine. Right? Not all doctrine is equal, brothers. It's not. And you don't believe that, and you don't operate that way. And to say otherwise is to make yourself a hypocrite. So Jesus tells them, remember the Pharisees? You guys are all about tithing your men and cumin, but you neglect the other things. He doesn't tell them not to do those things. But he says the other things matter more clearly, demonstrating there are degrees of importance in things. And the number one doctrine we've got to get right is the doctrine of God and the doctrine of his son. That is not something up for debate. It's interesting to me that the pagan response to the upheaval of society is making weird allies. Um, I'm acquaintances with a real influential Mormon speaker. And all the things he says about family are really close. They're really close. Things he says about modesty, the things he's against, the things he stands for. I mean, it's fascinating. I feel like I have more in common with him, at least in social issues, than I do with some fellow evangelicals, even some fellow Presbyterians. And... uh, But he wants to act like he's a Christian. And he is not. He is not a Christian. He serves a different God. He serves a God that once was a man that became a God and rules his own planet like some video game. Um, We are different. And as much 
as I'm happy he's taking on things that I think matter in our culture, we, we can't have deep unity. Because he will not submit to the Lord Jesus as presented in Scripture. So while we have to say some doctrines are more important than others, we can't be laissez-faire. Right? We can't be laissez-faire about that. We've got to keep the prime things. Right? The first things first. We have to. We have to cling to them, fight for them. There has to be some things you're willing to die for. Right? The deed of Jesus Christ. I am willing to die for that. And uh, it is incredibly important. The sovereignty of God. We cannot give up on the sovereignty of God. If we reject the absolute authority of God, we make God into something like us. He, does, uh, he has no power of his creation. No absolute power. That makes no sense. We change who God is. We cannot move on that. So this matters. The God has exalted his son, the Lord Jesus, above all things in power and authority. Uh, Philippians 2, 9, 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that all the name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So again, the words of Jonathan Edwards are true. The absolute authority of God is the stumbling block on which thousands fall and perish. And if we go contending with God about his absolute authority, it will be to our eternal ruin. So I plead with you, do not argue with God about his absolute authority. Do not argue with God about what the world means. Scripture has to be the final and highest authority. Cannot give up on inerrancy. We're returning to a time of fundamentals, it seems. My friend Jürgen von Hagen was telling me that just Jürgen helped write that book, The Grace of Shame. He's a, he's a German professor over at the University of Bonn. He's a dean there, a very influential man uh, on the UN uh, dealing with the, the crisis in Greece several years back. He's talking about how Americans are so um, spoiled, the things that we're, we're able to fight about. And, and in Germany, you're just trying to find someone that's like orthodox, <laughs> that worships the same Jesus as the Bible. And, um, and I, it makes me think of that I'm glad that we have the options we do. Well, let's make sure we keep the first things the fir- uh, first thing. We're looking for men that, that fear God, follow his word, submit to his word. Do not argue with God about what is right and wrong. It does not change. And moral relativism is sneaking in everywhere. God's word, it's always wrong. Always. It's not situational ethics. The situation is God is king. That's the situation. And most of all, do not argue with God about his son. People are going to tell you, children, that there's other ways uh, to get to God, and not just his son. And they're going to say that as you go out, neighborhood kids, and certainly if you go to college, they're going to tell you that it's not true. He's the only way. No one can come to the Father except through the Son. You've got to believe what the Word of God says, right? Cling to it. Cling to it, Esther. <laughs> the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John 3. Oh, it's good to know the Lord. It's good to be underneath his authority. Let's submit to his authority so it rightly orders our life and brings that beautiful peace that we read about this morning in James chapter 3. It is 
amazing how much sin and contention runs wild in your life before you know Jesus. But then when you bow the knee, how God starts changing things. You become friends and family with people you never imagined. Think of the people. We used to have a small group back in Bloomington full of a bunch of Dutch people. Now, you might not figure this out by Emily and I. Not only are we not Dutch, we're nowhere in the vicinity of being Dutch. Um, that's not our culture at all. And they're uh, introverted. And uh, we're not really in the vicinity of being introverted either, I think. Um, but those people... Those people are my family, right? And so are you if you submit to Jesus. I mean, it's beautiful to be part of God's family. So bow your knee, honor God. Thank God for his absolute authority over all things. Certainly the ability to save your soul and bring you into his family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are powerful, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-controlling, You reign over all things. You made all things. You created all things. You give meaning to all things. And Lord, you've revealed yourself to us, not just through nature, but through your word. We can know you and understand you and know things. God, thank you so much. And you haven't just given us your word, but you've given us your spirit that illuminates our minds. That helps us understand truth and apply it to our life and strengthens us in the battle against sin. Thank you. And God, you have not just given us your word and your spirit, but a family. Brothers and sisters in the war against sin. Fellow travelers on the way to that heavenly city. Thank you, God, for men and women that encourage us. Oh, Lord, help us to be united on the main things and never move a single inch. We ask this in the name of your son.